Well, good evening, brethren. Paul made it very clear at the beginning of Second Corinthians that the new covenant ministry is so more glorious than the old covenant ministry. For instance, in um, in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four, we see that Satan tries to prevent the light of the good news of the gospel of the glory of Christ to shine on us. In other words, he tries to prevent this new covenant ministry, which is uh, about Christ, the glory of Christ, which is uh, Christ, he is God's image. In other words, he tries to prevent the knowledge of Christ to shine on us, for us to fully understand it. And, and that's why we read in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to grow in that image of God, which is Christ. We need to grow in that nature, divine nature. We need to grow in that character that is of Christ. So this is a wonderful, wonderful knowledge, which is a treasure. Um, and we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 7, we see that this knowledge is a treasure, which is in our frail, corruptible human bodies. And then uh, Paul then uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is goes on by explaining that man's physical existence is fragile, is insecure, is lowly, is temporary, whilst we wait for a building from God, which is uh, represents security, which represents permanence, which represents certainty. So, uh, uh, and then uh, therefore, uh, in still in Second Corinthians 5 verse 4, uh, is basically saying we look forward uh, to become immortal. We look forward for this mortality to be changed by life, life eternal, become immortal. And uh, as, as a guarantee for this process, God has given us his Holy Spirit, which we read that in verse 5, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. So God's Holy Spirit is a guarantee. And then we also read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, that through God's Holy Spirit, we are being sanctified, we are made separate from this world for obedience. And, uh, and we know that one day, as we read in uh, in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5, it says that one day we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, it is important for us to understand that salvation is a free gift, but we are being judged day by day by the way we live our lives now. And that is why it's so important for us to obey. And when we sin, which we all do, we need to repent. Our 
ultimate position in the kingdom of God, our reward, or in other words, how many cities we will rule as an example of reward, or how many uh, areas will have responsibility for teaching, is basically directly related to how we overcome, how we grow, and how we edify, uh, how we build on the foundation uh, with good lasting works that stand the test of fire. And so our overcoming is important and repentance is so vital in our life. Repentance is critical. And so in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 5, we can see that we are accountable for what we say and for what we do. And so, and since we know how Jesus Christ is going to reward us, we better be busy and do what is right. And that is where basically we stopped in the last or the previous study. Now in verse 12, he, he brings a point here about false teachers. And let's now read verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity, opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. And so Paul is saying, yeah, uh, false teachers are basically boasting, but Paul is saying, uh, he's not boasting about himself. He says, we do not commend ourselves again to you. But he's saying, he's giving them an opportunity to boast for us, to defend the ministry, to defend him. Uh, so uh, those people that boast and speak about how good they are being false prophets, Paul is saying, you should be able to answer that and defend uh, Paul and Timothy and his ministry. You Corinthians should be able to do that. Now, he has an interesting point to, uh, to emphasize because Paul yeah, was dealing with those people that attacked him, right? In fact, Second uh, Corinthians, is a book, a good book to study about how he handled people that attacked him. So if you are in a situation wherein somebody bad mouths you, or if you are in a situation when somebody puts you down, if you are in a situation when somebody tries to destroy your reputation, then Second Corinthians is a good book, a good epistle for you to study and meditate on because it gives us an approach throughout this book how Paul uh, handled these false, uh, false ministers and these people that were attacking him and that were bad-mouthing him. So, uh, some of the people, as we read 
in verse 13, we're basically saying that Paul was out of his mind, uh, saying that Paul was deranged. Well, in fact, uh, if you read in Acts, uh, you will see the story that Festus also thought so. So let's look at Acts 26, Acts 26, and we're going to read starting in verse 19 to get the flow of the story. Acts 26, verse 19, I will start there. It says, therefore, King Agrippa, so Paul is now defending himself before King Agrippa, I was not as obedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. And so, again, he actually says repentance twice here in this sentence. So, there needs to be repentance. Repentance is so important in this process. Verse 21, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand. In other words, they, they would have killed me, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. And what did the prophets and Moses said? that the Messiah, that Christ would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead. And, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Christ suffered and he was the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light. Christ would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made this defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Paul, you have gone bonkers. You've gone wrong. What's wrong? Uh, much learning is driving you mad. And Paul then said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. So going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 13, it says, for if we are besides ourselves, in other words, if people claim that we are out of our minds, if people are saying, uh, are bad-mouthing us, and as in this case, Paul, it says there, it is for God. We are here to serve God. And, uh, and so we see that Paul's enemies in Corinth may have insinuated that Paul was deranged. 
uh, maybe, maybe, because of his enthusiasm to talk about what God did through Christ and by Christ dying for us and resurrecting. They, he was enthusiastic about this. He was full of zeal when he talked about. And so these people said, you're out of your mind. Uh, if we are beside ourselves, says Paul in verse 13, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. You see, in both ways, where people claim we out of our mind, or where people claim we are in the right mind, it is doing the will of God. So Paul was not concerned what the critics were saying about him. His desire was to please God. And it was clear in his mind what Christ did, what he died, and his resurrection, it opens up a new way of life for us all. Paul, uh, uh, verse, uh, now reading verse 14, says, For the love of Christ compels us. You see, the love of Christ uh, is, compels us. In other words, you're so enthusiastic about what God did for us through Christ. He, he, he was besides himself with enthusiasm. And, and he understood what God's love for us was. Uh, look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. It says, For then we were still without strength in due time. Christ died for us, the ungodly died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it talks here about his own love towards us. God demonstrates his own love towards us. So he's so enthusiastic about how God demonstrated his love towards us through what he planned with Christ for Christ to do. They planned this. This was part of the plan that, yes, Christ would come to earth. He would not sin. He would show us the way, an example. And he would be our standard, our example, the image of what God wants us to be. And this is what God wanted him to do. And this was an amazing sacrifice that Christ did for us, a well-pleasing sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. And so Paul was so enthused about this, he was besides himself. And that's why I says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge us. In other words, because we believe that Jesus Christ died for us all. We all basically, ultimately, when we repent, we all then, ultimately then, 
will die of our old way of life. You see, once mankind really understands those that are called now, now, those that will be called later, maybe in the second resurrection, will then understand and then they'll understand that they, their old way needs to die and they need to live a new way. You see, this all is symbolic of baptism. Think about the meaning of baptism, which is described in Romans chapter 6. So let's look briefly at Romans chapter 6, starting from verse 2. In Romans chapter 6, verse 2, we see this symbolism of baptism when it says, um, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? You see, we died to sin. Sooner or later, the whole of mankind will reach that conclusion. Or, should, or do you not know that as many of us as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In other words, just like Christ raised from the death, we, when we come out of the watery grave, we are to walk in a new life as a new man. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, becoming a new man, changing ourselves, obviously, with the help of God's Holy Spirit. Continue verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, our old ways of living of life is dead. In other words, our we all die to our old way of life, and the body of sin might be done away with, in other words, so that we slowly start repenting and, and become uh, more uh, or no longer slaves of sin, as it reads in verse 6. For he who has died has been freed from sin. In other words, if we died, if that old man has died, and if we stop being the old man, then we are freed from that way of life, of past sins. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. You see, this is, uh, this is the, what he's describing here uh, in Corinthians. It's symbolic of baptism that we died and now we're going to live a new life. This is also emphasized, for instance, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we read, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me as a new man with the help of God's Holy Spirit. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So uh, it is a life that a new man, that we've come out of the watery grave, obviously with the help of God's Holy Spirit, 
which we read in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 5, which is the guarantee for our sanctification. Another example is also in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, you died, your old man has died, and your turn, eternal life, your future eternal life, he's hidden with God. In other words, your future potential, life potential, at the resurrection, he's hidden there. Your name is written in the book of life, and you are waiting the resurrection. You're waiting for Christ's coming. Uh, also in First Peter chapter 4, First Peter chapter 4, verse 1, through three. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In other words, we are going to be a new man. We're going to be a different person. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of man, but for the will of God as a new man. For we have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in all these things and then he describes them. So we got to live a new life. And so let's read again Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. You see, Christ died for all. Christ died for all. In other words, he died in our stead. He died for our sins. And therefore, the potential is that we can also live again. All mankind can live again. Yes, they will be resurrected, but there will be a judgment. Let's now read verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. <clears throat> In other words, he died for our sins, so that our sins could be forgiven, you see, and now we should no longer live for ourselves. See, we no longer live for ourselves. You see, as we read Christ, by like through one man, Adam, sin came into the world. By one man, Christ, uh, we all will be made alive. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 and 22. So the interesting thing here is it says, for he died for all. You see, he died for all. It doesn't say he resurrected for all. Uh, it is, it's interesting. In other words, he died for us. That those who live no longer themselves, uh, uh, who live no longer for themselves, but for him. So now we got to live. The resurrection is, is not in our stead, 
but the resurrection is for our good, is to help us to, ch to, to give us an opportunity to now having God's Holy Spirit and with the helper of God's Holy Spirit, we change and we become better and better people like God. That's what, what has happened to us. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, we read, uh, as talking about Lord uh, Jesus Christ, uh, and he says, raise up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who has delivered who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He was raised, he was resurrected for our justification. You see, so he is now our defense advocate, he's now uh, working and helping us with God's spirit so that we can be uh, changed, be justified. Uh, look in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if we were enemies, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So the resurrection and his life is for our good, to help us, but he's not in our stead. You see, he died in our stead, but his resurrection is not in our stead. Is to help us to be reconciled further, uh, to be changed, to to be sanctified with the help of God's Holy Spirit, so that ultimately we can be saved by His life. So let's go back to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse uh, 15, uh, and we read here uh, in, uh, that we should not live, uh, that we should live no longer for themselves. In other words, people should not live for themselves. So we need to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we are to no longer live any way we want to. Uh, in other words, we're not, we says, yeah, we should live no longer for themselves or for ourselves. We no longer are to live the way we want to. We are to live God's way, God's way of life. You see, today humanity lives for themselves, uh, for selfish purposes, for vain pursuits you see um, look at also in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 uh, yeah we see that you see we've got christ that gives us uh, a, a new life in other words he gives us this this good news of the glory which is the image of god we are to to be like Christ. Uh, we got to, to live a life according to God's standards. We got to live a new man in his image. 
we got to live in the image of God, which is Christ. And that's why we read in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of Man, that we understand who Christ is, the image of God, so that we come to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to become a perfect man like Christ. We are to put on a new man, as in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 through 24, he says, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, by Christ, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is quite important for us to be considering now, particularly as we approach again uh, a new uh, festival season and we approach Passover and the days of unleavened bread, we got to analyze ourselves again and say, hey, are we, how are we doing? Uh, are we growing? Has there been growth in my life since last year? Do I understand it a little deeper this year than last year? Do I see it a little bit better this year than last year or that five years ago or then 10 years ago? Yeah, because it should, with God's Holy Spirit, we should be putting on this new man and we should be in the process of becoming more like Christ. You see, brethren, we have been bought and paid for by a very precious price. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought at a price. What price? The price of the life of Jesus Christ of the God being that created us. You see, we are bought for by a very high price. And therefore, we need to be slaves to God. Romans 6 verse 23. Romans 6 verse 23. I beg your pardon, 22. Romans 6 verse 22. But now having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of God and you have put your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life you see we have to live according to God's way of life so it is very important for us to understand and what Paul is emphasizing here in 2nd Corinthians is emphasizing really think about it the whole point of reconciliation that we this is the theme that we need to be reconciled to god and 
and he says, well, look at what Christ, God has done. Christ died for us. we got to live a new way. Now let's continue reading in verse 16. Therefore, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't regard people according to the flesh. Now note, it's not saying we don't regard people in the flesh. We not, don't regard according to the flesh. In other words, we're not looking at things in a fleshly way. We're not looking at things according to worldly standards. Uh, worldly standards might be distinctions of race, of class, or of economic status. We're not looking at people from that physical human perspective. We're not evaluating according to that outlook. And, and then he goes on. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Oh, what do you mean we have known Christ according to the flesh? You see, Paul is saying that we once looked at Christ according to the flesh. In other words, using fleshly standards. Paul the dad. He was looking at Christ before his conversion according to the standards of the time. Uh, he was, for instance, according to the Sanhedrin, uh, how the Jewish leaders uh, looked at things. And he ended up persecuting Christ. In fact, he was, let's call it, a ringleader. Uh, but now that he's converted, he no longer looks at Christ or evaluates Christ that way. He looks at Christ as his savior. And so it's going on reading. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We don't look at Christ that way any longer. We look at Christ as our savior, not according to the way people look at things in the flesh. Therefore, yeah, it's the word therefore again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Therefore, now, as a Christian, we view things from a different perspective. Once you and I are baptized, we need to have a different perspective. Now, when people look at you and you baptized, they don't see a difference. You're still a human being. Uh, you still have human desires. But, but, the, that person that is truly converted, truly baptized, <coughs> truly repentant, his attitude has changed. His approach has changed. In other words, our attitude, our approach, our old values have changed. Our old priorities, our old beliefs, all those things have changed. 
We look at things in a different way. We see things in this world, good and evil, from a different light, from a different perspective. And that's why I say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This word become new is more uh, related to a continual ongoing process. Uh, in other words, all things have become and are becoming new. In other words, you and I get a greater and deeper understanding of things as the years go by. As you are in the church, year by year, you start seeing things a little better in the way that God sees things. You are becoming new. You haven't become completely new in day one, but you are in the process of growing. That's why it says growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are growing. You are in that continual process. You and I are never stopping to learn. We're learning deeper. Uh, uh, we are at a great depth of understanding. I'm not saying it's new things. I'm just saying you're comprehending it better. Uh, and so it is a, a, a never-ending opportunity of learning deeper and deeper God's truth in a deeper depth. Uh, this is what I have nicknamed this to a virtuous circle. As opposed to the term a vicious circle, it's a virtuous circle. As we go from year to year and learn and practice and obey and live God's way, God gives you more and more of his spirit and you and I start understanding it a little bit better. You start seeing things a little bit better. And, and that things are becoming new, uh, understanding God's truth better. Now, uh, verse uh, 18, and it says, yeah, now all things are of God. You see, everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself. Now, this is important for us to understand. Anything that is new, that we learn, our deeper understanding is from God. And we understand it because we've got God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit helps us understand. That's what Christ says. The Spirit will help you to understand things. That's what Christ said. And you read also in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I think chapter 2, run about this, 11 and 12, that it says, you understand better the things of God by God's Holy Spirit. And so God has given to us a, a reconciliation. He has reconcil reconciled, reconciled us to himself through Christ. In other words, reconciliation means he's brought us into harmony with his his way of life. You see, previously, we had a barrier. 
What was the barrier? Was our sins that separated us from God. But now we've repented. They are forgiven. So that barrier is gone. And therefore, we are reconciled. We are friends. And so, it says here, and God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So, the ministry's job is to bring people as to God. To bring people to God. That's our ministry. That's our responsibility as ministers of Jesus Christ. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Understand this. Our sins are forgiven. And, and by the way, that's also why this new covenant, uh, this, uh, the new covenant ministry is, is better. It's a greater administration. Why? Because it's reconciling us to God. Now, understand this important thing. It's reconciling us to God. You see, it's not God coming down to reconcile to us. Now, of course, I understand, uh, don't misconstrue what I'm saying, that Christ had to die for us to do the reconciliation. But the intent is that for us to be reconciled to God. We need to reconcile. You see, in Malachi 3 verse 6 says, says I change not. You see, God doesn't change. But it's reconciling the world to himself. You see, in, in Hebrews 13, verse 8 and 9, talks about Jesus Christ, and it says, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, it's not God that has to change, it's we that have to change. We have to change our old way to God's way, to God's standards, to his way of life. We are the ones in the wrong. Now, for instance, let's say there's two human beings, two people that have an argument, right? And there needs to be reconciliation. Usually, usually, there is some difference between these two human beings. For them to reconcile, usually what it is, we've got to sort out the differences. This person's got to give in a bit. This person's got to give in a bit. And then the reconcile or come into harmony. In other words, this person's got to come in a bit this way. This person's got to come in a bit this way for there to be reconciliation. Right? But reconciling with God, it's not like God has to come a little bit and we have to come a little bit. No, God does not change. God is there. God is right. God is righteous. It's us that have to change. You see, once again, when two human beings, one's going to give and one, the other's going to give. But to God, God does not have 
to give up anything in his way. His way is right. He does not change. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have to change and come towards him. And the way of reconciliation has been established because our past sins are forgiven. So we are the ones that have to change. So back to verse 19. It says, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Is the world that is going to come to Christ, to God, not imputing the trespasses to them and has committed to us the word, the word of reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation. Now then, or could have been translated, therefore, again, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. <coughs> we are representatives of this king, of this government from one country. We're representing this country to another country. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of God's kingdom, of God's government to humanity, to people that are repenting and show them the way. And again, understand that God works through human instruments. God works through people. In Romans 10, verse 14, in Romans 10, verse 14, let's look at that. Romans 10, verse 14. Now then, uh, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how they shall believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Brethren, God works through human people. Or being perfect. Yes, human people that are imperfect. But God works through these human people. God works through human instruments. Someone has to preach the word, the word. Yes, it is the Bible, but it does require a preacher. It's not just saying, well, I don't need a preacher. I just have the Bible. No, it says you need a preacher. God works through human instruments. Someone has to preach the word. That's the way God established it. And so going back to verse 20, it says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. God is pleading through us. He's saying, please, please, we implore you on Christ's behalf. We're pleading, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Please, please change. Please repent. Please be a new man. You see, brethren, the context is reconciliation. The context is us changing, repenting, because God has opened a way of reconciliation for what Christ has done. And that's why Paul is so excited about this. And he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm compelled with this. I'm so excited. Because it's the way of salvation for mankind.
And then verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin, he made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. He made Christ to be a sin offering. Christ became a sin offering. Uh, look at it uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. We justified by his blood. Re reconciliation is made possible by Jesus Christ's blood. For if when we were enemies we reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation by his blood. So we reconciled, we're justified by his blood. In Ephesians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us, given himself for us an offering and sacrifice. Christ is an offering and sacrifice to God. So he is a sacrifice. He is an offering. And, uh, and continue, huh? for a sweet-smelling aroma. For a sweet-smelling aroma. When you read, for instance, in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 13, and in Leviticus chapter 1, he's talking about the burnt offering. And, and in verse 13, uh, talking about a burnt offering, which symbolizes Christ. It's symbolic of Christ, the burnt offering, because the whole offering was given. Nothing was left over. And it says, this burnt offering in verse 13, it says, is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, he's talking about Christ has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice. So it's comparing to this burnt offering of Leviticus chapter 1, which was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. And it says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering, the offering of Jesus Christ once for all. So he is an offering. He is an offering to us, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And look at also in Psalm 22, verse 24. Psalm 22, verse 24. Psalm 22, verse 24. And now we read, which is a prophetic psalm. And in verse 24, it says, uh, that he was despised and and abhorred by the fleet, uh, uh, for he was not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor he was hidden his face from him. But when he cried, that's when Christ cried, he heard. God 
heard him. So here in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 supports that in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. It says, and for in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, so he was fully human and he had human emotions. But he was able, uh, he and and was able to save him from death. Uh, so God was able to save him, but he didn't save him, allowed him to die. Why? Because he was offering, a sin offering, uh, a sweet smelling flavor to God because God loves us so much. He allowed his son to die for us and said, and, and Christ was heard because of his godly fear. So Christ was heard. You see, so the Greek word, yeah, in uh, in Second uh, Corinthians five, verse twenty-one, the Greek word for sin is amartia, a Greek uh, two six six, which most commonly is translated as sin, but can also mean sin offering. For instance, can be seen as what we call in English uh, metonymy which is a figure of speech which substitutes an attribute for what it represents. For instance, you can say a track when you actually mean horse racing. For instance, you can say hand says, give me a hand. Uh, you're not giving literally a hand, but you know what it means. Or you say the pen is mightier than the sword. So you substitute an article for what it means. So you use that. So that's a figure of speech. And so yeah, we have uh, the word which quite often is translated sin, but can also mean sin offering. And and to support that, let's look at a couple of, of uh, additional scriptures in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 hebrews 9 verse 26 says uh, and he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself by the sacrifice of himself so he sacrificed himself he was an offering a sacrifice look at chapter 10 Verse 6, 10 verse 6, he says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Sacrifices for sin. The word translated here, sacrifices for sin, is the Greek word amartia. It's the same word, sacrifices for sin. In this case, it's not just translated sin, but it's translated sacrifices for sin. It's the same Greek word. Look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8, it says, Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you do not desire, nor add pleasure in them. The, the expression there, sacrifices for sin. You see, and offerings for sin. Offerings for sin. I beg your pardon. Offerings for sin. The expression, offerings for sin is the expression peri amartia which means for sin and it's translated not just for sin 
but offerings for sin. Uh, and also in First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Knowing that we're not redeemed with uh, corruptible things like silver or gold, uh, but uh, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So he was offered as a lamb which was no blemish and no spot. So he had no sin. He bore our sins as an offering, but he was not sin. Uh, he was made a sin offering. So continuing or concluding now in Second Corinthians chapter five, chapter five, verse twenty-one, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, implying to be a sin offering for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we can we can be the righteousness of God in Him, uh, in Christ. And so that way, it allows us to be reconciled, and that shows the righteousness of God through what Christ has done. 